Again, but cut the songs. In honor of Mulan, coming to Disney Plus, what movie not on Disney Plus would you pay $30 to watch on Disney Plus? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and the answer is Song of the South. Like, that's the Disney movie that I am curious to see. I'm at Patches, and whoa, dangerous pick, but I like it. Um, Historical artifact. It It definitely is a historical artifact. I don't know. There's a lot of debate there. Go listen to You Must Remember This about Song of the South. I don't know. Uh, I'm at Patches, and I feel like I picked this um, for a previous lightning round recently, but I'm going to say the Jupiter Ascending sequels. They don't exist. But I would pay $30 if someone told me they were coming to Disney+. Plus. <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven, and it's not a movie, but where's the complete run of Firefly? I'd pay $60. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I have understood this question less and less uh, with each subsequent response. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I am definitely listening. Um, I feel like just with the parameters of a movie, I would pay $30 to watch on Disney Plus that's not currently on Disney Plus. I think in that context and in honor of Dave Seven, the first movie that sprang to mind purely for shock value is, of course, a Serbian film, a movie I have never seen anywhere (laughs) and never want to. But uh, the idea of being on Disney Plus, I would pay $30 just to have it be on there. I don't know if I would actually watch it. But to know that someone else exactly, might watch it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> poor I want my kid to learn about all parts of the world. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 315. It's Pandemic 25. Wait, for a second. Are we done with Pandemic after next week when Tenet is actually out? Is that a, is there a ruling on that? No, I feel like Tenet has to be out in every state. Oh. Oh, a full Tenet. The, the full, oh, full, full Tenet. The full Tenet. All right. So it's so still to be determined. That's anyway. Right. Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. That is the day that in 1666, the Great Fire of London destroyed 80% of the city. I definitely did not know that that fire happened in the year 666 or, you know, 1666. Deep, deep cut. They should have known. Um, this is exciting because we've had uh, a lot of review segments of harassing you guys lately. And now we got some reviews. Well, Boy, do we have reviews. Well, I mean, let's let's bring it down for a second and get serious. Uh, last week, as... Uh, Loyal listeners of this show will know. Um, unfortunately, we had to offer up Dave Gonzalez's life to the the gods, so to speak, to the uh, to the listeners out there. Um, and it was determined by no choice of our own, but just the collective will of the universe that if we didn't receive new reviews this week, uh, he would die. Uh, and uh, people really. In, in a show of love, almost as profoundly self-affirming as attending your own funeral, let's say, we, we really saw uh, an influx of love for Dave Gonzalez, uh, our, our beloved Dave said. And I think this is the highest volume of reviews we've gotten in the span of a single week. And they're all quite short. Wow. We can read them all. Uh, I've scanned over a couple of them and I have some thoughts. This is going to be an interesting segment at least by my shitty standards. Let's do this. Uh, Anna Arkadievna Ar- says, this podcast rules. 
I wonder if she'll still think that after listening to me try and pronounce her name. I actually wrote a review <laughs> months ago and deleted it immediately after publishing it, realizing it was a typo. The thought of David mocking my mistake was too scary. <laughs> that having been said, it may be a kind of compliment that I so enjoy listening to Fighting in the War Room, even though I'm scared of the host's disapproval. Now that I've worked up the courage six months later to try again, I'm not really sure what I can say that hasn't been said before. This podcast is a true boon to everyone who enjoys great criticism as well as a comfortable hangout vibe. The fighting spirit that all four members embody as they defend their own positions and attack those who would disagree with them is incredibly cathartic to this repressed personality. Oh, we got an introvert in our hands. I wonder if a lot of podcast fans are introverts. This is me editorializing now. Uh, but underlying all the yelling <laughs> is a real sense of camaraderie and fun and passion that make this podcast into a bomb in these ugly times. So an articulate review. Thank you so much for continuing to do this and giving every week a bright spot. P.S. Knowing that reviews will be read in the podcast is kind of scary and intimidating. I'm sorry I don't have something extremely witty or memorably unusual to say. Well, Anna, I thought this review was uh, was very cogent uh, and witty, but I also have to admit that I it never occurred to me, uh, mostly because we record this podcast in a void, at least my own head, and I uh, do it by forgetting that anyone is on the other side, that it would be at all intimidating uh, to have something you wrote read on this podcast. Um, and I can understand that. Uh, but I really imagine how intimidating it would be if you ever tweeted about it and let your wide Twitter audience know that it exists. Yeah, it'd be so much more intimidating than this. A difficult scenario to fathom. But uh, I, I have to say, I appreciate Honest Courage for, for muscling over that and doing it. Loved that review. Very helpful for all of us. Thank you, Anna. Uh, Aiden Lynch says five stars for four rock stars. Thank you, Katie, Dave, Patches, and David for making this good podcast. Take it from a 26-year-old. All four of you are funny and cool. Oh, my God. Whoa. That's <gasps> high praise coming from a 26-year-old. Got cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're cool. We're cool, guys. <laughs> you inspire me to further enrich my relationship with film, which is one of the most important relationships in my life. Thank you, not just for being good podcasters, but for being decent people as far as I can tell. I don't have a favor mm. between the four of you. To do so would be cruel. And to voice such a favor would be petty. Sometimes people come at you guys a little hard in these reviews. They're just excited, I think. Best wishes always, Aiden Lynch. Oh, we seldom get it. Uh, a review that comes with a signature, so to speak. Uh, I think a 26-year-old is, like, right in the sweet spot of the approval we're looking. I think, you know, there's some, like, up and starry-eyed younger sorts uh, who, who, you know, might voice their approval. And then, like, you know, people our age who have come up with us Maybe know us. I don't know, but I think twenty six. That's like right. I think right we in the were. I'm, I mean, I guess I was twenty six when we started this thing because I'm thirty six now. So that's the uh, that's the fighting in the war room birth age. Ooh, we were cool <laughs> once. Mm, now, um, we're, now we're now we're this. Um, now we're this. I am going to push back against Dave's hypothesis that we were cool once. I think Dave that is actually still cool and was cool. I I don't know if I've ever been cool. No, In I, fact, I just, know that I, I think I think I will accept it all, for all of us, and then also reject the idea that I'm cool now on behalf of all of us. I think we were all okay. cool, and now now we're not. What is okay. cool? Yeah, it's easier. All right, we have more We do. Rickard Head says, <laughs> "You people are all over the place, and it's great." In these times, <laughs> cough, cough. Oh no. Get, get a test, record head. Good new music is hard to come by, and typical pod, topical podcasts seem redundant. I delved into listening to political podcasts, but they just made me perpetually angry. Enter fighting in the war room. 
which <laughs> is one, one word. I like that in the war room and you get a cornucopia of interesting topics that I didn't even know I wanted to hear people talk about. People are all over the place with topics, but I find your style to be an important palate cleanser for my week. Love the banter and the wit, especially Dave with the seven saved from death's scythe. I also love yes. the little interjections of funny tracks. So good job. Whoever's doing those. It's Dave seven. It's Dave seven. Very helpful review. Uh, oh, Emerson Flunky. Uh, and as much as I wish that were the reviewer's actual name, I believe it is probably some kind of reference to uh, Emerson College, which, you know, is now our... Or Ralph Waldo. <laughs> Maybe. But I think given our podcast history, now that Emerson has, is our adopted uh, Fighting in the War Room school, uh, sure. yeah, it's probably a reference to that. And they just wrote, and I guess I'm duty-bound to read this out, but... Uh, this is strange. Uh, they say, this is why events unnerve me. They find it all a different story. Notice whom for wheels are turning, turn again and towards this time. All she asks is the strength to hold me. Then again, the same old story. World will travel oh so quickly. Travel first and lean towards this time. Oh, I'll break them down. No mercy shown. Heaven knows it's got to be this time. Avenues all lined with trees. Picture me and then you start watching. Watching forever, forever watching love grow forever, letting me know forever. Now, those are, of course, the lyrics to New Order Ceremony, which I must have mentioned at some point on this podcast was the song, as you all know, you all, my co-hosts, uh, I performed for my wife at our wedding. Uh, at least wow. I hope I mentioned that on this podcast, <laughs> or else I have <laughs> more questions. But thank you, Emerson Flunky. Uh, always have to call attention to... One of the great rock songs ever written. We can call it rock, whatever. We'll speak productively. It doesn't matter. Uh, we did record ahead. Katie Ray 78 says, please spare Dave 7. I've complied with your conditions now, <laughs> David. You must comply with mine. Open your dang Pokemon Go friend presents. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, and more to the point. podcast <laughs> is great. Each host brings a different spicy element to this tasty pop poker stew. I appreciate everyone's voice, barring a few of the lengthier rants. I feel like that's probably Ooh. aimed at me. And look forward to each new episode. Five stars. I... As a, I have an addictive personality. I glom onto these iPhone games and play them religiously, most of all during a pandemic, uh, more often than I should. But for some reason, I just kind of hit a wall with Pokemon Go and abrupt, abruptly stopped one day. I don't know what it is. I was like not feeling a certain sense of accomplishment, not being able to spend enough money I don't have to artificially inflate my characters. I don't know what was going on uh, with the Star Wars and Marvel and now Game of Thrones uh, money-grubbing games offer the Pokemon Go didn't. Although there is the Pokemon Masters game, which is more in those... What are you talking about? Anyway. Stop! There's so many reviews! <laughs> uh, Kitty Ray, uh, maybe I'll pop in there and open my presents. Missy2278 says, I don't want any of these hosts to be sacrificed. Any of them. That's nice. And I'm one of the slackers that hasn't <laughs> left a review. You guys always have great insight, and I enjoy the interactions almost as much as the reviews. I'm running through the dregs of my TV watching, so I appreciate hearing about shows I haven't watched. I'm also dying for more movie stuff if we manage to get to 2021. Aren't we all? Please stay alive like our good friend Dave Seven. Uh, Dylan Garcia. A billion things are coming out, so. (laughs) Dylan Garcia says, I won't hear this. Hey, fighting in the war room. Every week I skip past the review section. Often I miss the first minute or so of the first segment. It's worth it. Five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, More like had to install the podcast app. Says fighting in the war zoom. More like fighting in the war zoom. Mm. I get it. Very helpful. Uh, last two reviews real quick. Jeff Burnett says, don't kill Dave Seven. 
why would he even be the one to go? Because he's the one everyone likes most. And we had to put in some real stakes at Screenwriting 101, Jeff no. Burnett. No. Because That's you true. talk over him and Katie and wouldn't notice a difference. Wow. I mean, <gasps> as I as I specified on last week's episode, this podcast would fall apart at the seams if uh, Dave Seven died. Um, and also there would be other effects in our lives, but that would be probably the most pronounced for you out there. <laughs> Patch's insane yep. hot takes should be on the chopping block, in my opinion. Anyway, thank mm. you all for doing the show and giving me and so many others a nice sense of safe routine in these absolutely dark, terrible, depressing, soul-crushing days. Lastly, I'm a David Ehrlich defender. I like how there's a default now where you have to go out of your way to specify that. Less yeah, no, it's a hot suit. take to defend, yeah. David. Um, I think people, this is like he's waving the MAGA flag effectively for our podcast. <laughs> I think people who say he's a mean contrarian should look deeper and listen more closely. But a couple of weeks, but, sorry, dot, 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 a couple of weeks ago when he shrugged off Back to the Future, question mark, JFC, that's indefensible. Wow. I thought I had David wow. in my corner when every champion Spider-Man 2 or Indiana Jones 4, although I don't think you need me to defend Spider-Man 2, uh, a, a perfect movie, and we can all agree on that. Uh, but I feel like Caesar getting stabbed, RN. I guess I should have seen this coming from the guy who thinks Mission Impossible 3 is top-tier Mission Impossible. Unforgivable. Thank you for running the table, Jeff Burnett. Uh, Mission Impossible 3, I think that series is like one great movie away from MI3 being kicked down to second tier, but it's still hanging around up there for now. And finally, finally... And I know the segment's going long, but Dave gets to live, everyone. So please indulge in that or join our friend Dylan Garcia and just skipping forward. Then reporter says, I'm writing this review, heeding the call to say, to, sorry, heeding the call last week to save Dave's life. Of course, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyhow. We love you, Dave. So live for me, as Joanna Robinson might say, if she were quoting what I think is one of her favorite TV shows, Buffy. Speaking of which, I listened to both Fighting in the War Room and Dave's other podcast, The Storm, but I first learned of him through this one back in the Aquino days. I've been listening to him for years now and hope to keep listening for years to come or until he decides to hang up his microphone. His voice in my ear has been a comfort and it's a light and at times a very enlightening experience. Keep up the good work. Side note, I hear Dave lives in Denver. The only other person I know in Denver is Andrew Scahill, professor at the University of Colorado. I don't suppose you know him, but this past year he was featured in a documentary called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it to all the co-hosts. It's a great exploration of queer representation in scary movies, as well as the inherent homophobia in Hollywood. Scahill even wrote a book on the subject called The Revolting Child in Hollywood, sorry, The Revolting Child in Horror Cinema. Check it out if you get the chance. And viva all the co-hosts. It's a podcast. Marlon Wallace Salisbury, Maryland. Another signature. All reviews very helpful. Thank you for bearing with me during this segment. Dave's life is spared for now. Who knows when it will be on the chopping block again. We didn't even read the ones that were sent directly to us on Twitter and in email. Oh, and also we have a review from Dave's mom. Okay, We have more reviews that we were supposed to read. (laughs) At the end of this episode, if you stick around... I will read a review from Dave's mom written with the urgency that only a mother could summon to save her son's life. And we'll read and the other reviews that were Marvel. DM'd to us. Uh, in the next yeah, it's the post credit scene. It's a post credit <laughs> yes, scene. Right. I uh, guess this intro segment has reached a WTF pod. This is the first 15 minutes I usually skip on that podcast. Exactly. I guess I yep. uh, anyway, 
Thank you all very much. Uh, please continue to review our show on Fighting in the War Room on iTunes. Even if uh, we are not threatening to kill Dave, who knows, we could threaten to murder him again in the future. And by we, I, of course, mean the hands of fate, not our choice to make. Uh, but thank you. It's true. Manos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in a twist that you might not have seen coming, the people who want to talk about the VMAs this week are me and David. <laughs> David, I don't know why you watched the VMAs. Why did you watch? I, I watched it because I was helping cover for work and was like watching the red carpet, which that actually existed surprisingly. Enough. Why, do why I, did you watch? Why the do VMAs? I do anything, Katie? <laughs> well, great because it's why, why don't you value your time? Um, although I, I think you know, as someone who's drawn to live spectacle and television, uh, and has watched. God knows how many VMAs and MTV Movie Awards over the years and has watched the 2000 MTV VMAs that they have been airing and are so shockingly out of date from now. I mean, like it seems like centuries have passed since Marlon and Sean Wayne host the, hosted the 2000 VMAs at Radio City Music Hall and like all the cultural mores that we talk about now and cancel culture and all this, like it is so perfectly encapsulating all the things that we're trying to move behind. It's like such a, a festival, you know, of, of sexist, terrible things. Um, and Fred Durst repeatedly using the word fat to describe the basis from uh, Rage Against the Machine climbing on stage in protest is maybe the least offensive thing that happens over the course Wait, of the Wait, like, like he was using like P-H-A-T yeah. fat? That is not that, one of those wow. words that, that uh, But anyway, that has... I, I, uh, I, I was, to answer your question as best I can, uh, it, because it was there, Katie, because it was there. Um, fat de- uh, Fatdemic 2020. <laughs> We're bringing back the uh, fat. I mean, the, these VMAs will certainly be, be dated in many ways, uh, not just because, like, I don't know about the lingering cultural power of, um, oh, shit, I was going to say Dua Lipa, but that's not even who I meant. Who's the the other? There's, like, what, the one other, like, woman. Doja Cat. Uh, yes. Doja Cat get a loss? I don't know. No, it's not Doja Cat's fault. Um, but this is, these are the pandemic VMAs. Most of the stuff was pre-taped. Uh, there was one guy who was performing at a drive-in in Brooklyn, which is a wild sight. Uh, lots of people with face masks on, including including Lady Gaga, who had, like, an outfit for every face mask when she showed up. Very, cool. She got her uh, costumes from a drag race designer. I was very happy to see that. Someone I follow, I actually, well, I don't want to get into this, but I follow him because I know him personally, and I was so proud. They made a mask that has, like, when she sang, it had the, like, waveforms on it. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, who made this? And then I saw on Instagram that this guy who does drag race costumes professionally made it, and I'm like, she is paying her respects. That is a cool person to know. Um, I don't know about you, David, but I found the weird pandemic pre-tapedness of it fascinating. Like, I thought it made in a lot of ways for a better show. In a lot of parts because of Lady Gaga, because she kept showing up wearing different outfits. And she had time to, like, fake a quick change in her performance with Ariana Grande. Um, but there were these elements of it where I was like, huh, maybe they're this is how a word show should be in some way. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I do know that it was essentially a tribute to Lady Gaga where they sporadically handed out awards to other people I've never heard of. Uh, and yeah. Lady Gaga completely owned the show. The mask was fucking righteous. Uh, and she continues to be a very impressive person, even if uh, I don't always, uh, I, this is her since the sincerity of like what she is and who she represents is sometimes hard to square with the, 
outrageous it's for outfits, but it's. Uh, what does that mean? What are you talking about? I don't know. I mean, like it's 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 always it's always been hard to get a handle on Lady Gaga, but I appreciate her more and more with every passing iteration of who she is and what she's doing. And obviously, she's a star born uh, went a long way with that because I thought she was so terrific in the movie. I feel like she, she is Dolly Parton, but also Tolly Barton, who gets to. Tolly Barton. Tolly Barton. She's like Tolly Barton, except she's Tolly Barton. That's I like awesome. her. That's I awesome. like. I think I really turned. I a had a better on. explanation of that, but I'm just going with that. I think I really turned a corner on Lady Gaga when I realized that there wasn't any sort of like veil of irony behind all of the outrageous right. outfits and everything. It was like yeah. once that's I what I really, that, that's what I'm getting. Yeah, at. it was just this, this all coming from a very sincere place that she's been increasingly uh, transparent, but also can. I've Being really even brighter, it. I feel like. It's just like everything that she loves, she gets to be, yeah. uh, which is cool. Um, but And the fact that she showed up to accept their dumb NTV Tricorn Award, Listen. which they made up <laughs> Wait, what is for that? Lady Gaga to show what up. What is a Tricorn Award? It's something that... Oh, no, sorry, uh, Tricon, not Tricorn. It's Link spends hundreds of hours scouring Hyrule for, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then they just fucking gave it to Lady Gaga. Like, it was wow. <laughs> not even a water temple first? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's a Tricon Award for her as an actress, musician, and activist. I, they definitely made up an award sure. to get Lady Gaga to come. And it should be noted, I think Didn't the reason the VMAs real, worked. Uh, I don't because think it was made up. I think it was the what, it was like the Vanguard Award that became like the Michael Jackson Listen, something award. That I don't want to blow your guys' minds, but all awards are made up. And I think the success of the VMAs is because the VMAs doesn't give a shit. They'll tell people ahead of time if they one to get them to show up and get Taylor Swift to like pre-record a video in her house. Okay. So like they're always, like they're not trying to have an element of suspense. So it's like Lady Gaga, you're going to win six VMAs. So plan six Absolutely. outfits to come out. Like it, it worked because everything was planned in like, advance. I, which is the question I brought up on Twitter, which is like, how are the Emmys going to be able to replicate? Right. My response to you on Twitter was that you know I think they have to they have to put people they have to have people stick their necks out the same way they would if they attended uh, a award show in the flesh, which is have every all the nominees live on zoom and then just cut the feeds or you know hold them so we can see their i just lost faces for a few seconds after the winner is is announced to give them the speech i don't think it's particularly invasive or too Thank big an ask i feel like there's no before. way it's going to work that well well we pulled off the dnc the energy's Anything's all possible, wrong but uh, i mean it, it, it not work it not working well might be the magic sauce that like the vmas executed what they are pretty well but the VMAs as an event, like what sets them apart, isn't how well they're produced. It's like those weird unscripted moments that like happen. I mean, the Emmys so, haven't yeah. been fun for like 30 years, so but, does it like, matter? Are you saying the Emmys were fun in the But in, like, in the COVID <laughs> age, forgot. I think you could lean towards, uh, you know, a, a little bit more chaos, and maybe that'll create that X factor in some of these award shows. Yeah, you know who should host the Oscars? The Joker. <laughs> I mean the, the Emmy. Sorry, but Katie, I I'm a simple man, right? Like I remember being <laughs> in kindergarten and someone book publisher came in to speak at our school, and I raised my hand, and the burning question I had was how they made the, the, the stiff covers, uh, <laughs> the, the front and back covers of a book, and I distinctly remember being like uh, with cardboard, uh, and that was enough for me. My mind was blown. So I wow <laughs> wow that memory's really been <laughs> you've been waiting. To bring that always, up. I, I remember that he'd be really curious about how the, the covers of the book you know, were clearly made out of a different material in the pages. And for some reason, it fascinated me. And I've been galled by my own stupidity, but also the imagination that took me there for a long time. But I was watching yeah. the VMAs, and it all takes place. I mean, like the stage they had made it look like they were. Um, 
uh, somewhere high above the Manhattan skyline. And of course, it started with the weekend performing on that weird fucking edging terrace, uh, which is a real place. And it gave the whole thing the illusion of sort of floating in space. And all the performers, even the pre-taped ones, they had this very intense green screen work that made them all look like they were performing in a vacuum. I mean, the floors, not just the walls behind them, the floors were all uh, in this sort of altered space, the Doja Cat performance. It was like where Hugh Jackman lives in the future in the fountain, but a lot purple. Uh, or like DaBaby was like in a real place and suddenly he was in a cop car right. and it was, and it, it, was it a real cop car or CGI cop car? I can't even I remember. It was you. very confusing. Uh, but the, the void like feeling that it, Gabe, I think, was not only very appropriate for, you know, our quarantine times, but uh, I thought was kind of an immersive spectacle unto itself. And then I do have to say, just to finish up that thought, something that I probably shouldn't, uh, because I don't want to rile up the the army, um, you know, the most effective army Uh that this world has left, it seems. The little monsters? No, no. uh, The 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 BTS army. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, I, I was... Uh, I mean, BTS, listen, the song is catchy. Their choreography is spectacular. Uh, they seem like great lads, but uh, I didn't see a single act last night that, that felt more prefab and less sort of responsive to the moment than they're like, you know, straight from we're still in Seoul. Here are some green screen backdrops of, uh, you know, New York uh, locations performance. It felt, it felt like it could have been slotted into any award show. Uh, and I was unimpressed. I'm sorry to say. Well, um, yeah, I was encouraged by the VMAs. Honestly, anything that has like not just looked like a bunch of people on Zoom, I've been like probably unduly impressed by. Like the DNC was the same thing, where it's like, whoa, they got all these people in different states to tape themselves outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hopefully that low bar helps the Emmys. Although I do just I. I'm having a hard time imagining, you know, the winner of the best writing for a drama series really capturing the same verb as Lady Gaga showing up in a uh, sound wave face mask. Well, maybe, maybe they should have nominated Lady Gaga. Problem solved. Reveal the Emmy have Dome. Have you that closely? A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. So, uh, shocking news uh, leading into this weekend as Chadwick Boseman, actor, died at age 43. And it turns out he had died of stage four, you know, colon cancer and had been battling with it for four years, uh, which apparently included chemotherapy and some surgeries, but um, kept it uh, secret and amongst his family, as far as we know. Um, and then, you know, lost that battle. Uh, it was like kind of a devastating surprise that sent off, uh, everybody I knew from, uh, just people who liked movies, uh, to people who, you know, obviously liked Black Panther all the way to just people who, uh, were aware of him for, from 42 or, uh, Defy Bloods or any number of the performances he's, uh, managed to turn in during his career. Uh, all sort of in a mass grief text chain. Um, and then I think I spent a lot of time uh, over the weekend kind of scrolling through 
Twitter and seeing people unearth various uh, videos, either of uh, Chadwick Boseman speaking um, or uh, evidence of Chadwick Boseman's charitable acts. Uh, it was really amazing and incredibly tragic. And I'm not sure what else to say besides that, but I feel like a, a moment should be taken to to recognize Chadwick Boseman, who now that we know, you know, the the end of his story uh, was incredibly giving and brave and uh, fantastic actor and human, it seems like, all the way uh, through to the very end. I mean, his death is shocking regardless, but the condition in which he spent the last four years of his life, I think, is almost unfathomable uh, to imagine. You know, obviously the contrast between the fact that he was sick and the strength that he radiated in his performances, um, you know, the heroic icon that he represented in the game, in Black Panther and beyond, um, I mean, even as recently as The Five Bloods, his character is sort of larger than life and this uh, immortal totem of, of youth and strength. Um, but I, you know, not to overlook things that I can't speak to is clearly you know, the, the influence of Black Panther and the Black community, um, the, the way that he accepted that mantle and wore it so proudly. Um and so forth. But I, I really, I just been thinking a lot about the keeping this secret, but the, the stoicism that, so, I mean, I, I think we are in such a transparent world and, and ultra long to be noticed. And I think some of the, my less uh, flattering elements, of my personality that, that I like less than others, you know, that like phantom thread, like need for, attention when you are uh you know suffering from from anything i mean i think if uh, if i stub my toe i would write a personal essay about it and connect it to whatever movie i had to cover coming out that week and uh you know <laughs> for sympathy that. i mean that's just now i'm it, kind of hoping that happens yeah uh, but i mean part of it is just that i express myself through writing, maybe not literally stubbing my toe i was thinking you know my dad died from cancer and my first impulse was to be very public and transparent about how I process my feelings because I thought it was instrumental in how I could process my feelings. That it was like some part of me needed that mechanism um, in galvanizing it, you know, to, to sort of galvanize the various thoughts that I was going through. Uh, I had to write them and I needed to, in order to write them, I knew that I had to have an outlet to share them. Um, and obviously Chadwick Boseman for better and probably also for better was cut from a different cloth. Uh, but I just can't imagine the, the isolation and the um, the courage uh, and the grace that was required. And I think it's something that, you know, as, as time goes on and we get over the shock of his loss and it becomes a key part of his story that we all just sort of know that he um, died tragically young. Um, it will not get any more fathomable to me how he lived the last four years of his life and what he was able to do with them. Um, and I just, I hope my as a final thought before I pass on the baton, I hope that it, it, it was such an outpouring of appreciation and love for him, um, over the weekend and all of it seems extraordinarily well deserved. Uh, you know, Ryan Coogler's appreciation was so moving. Um, and even I think uh, our collective friend, Kevin Plowey, 
uh, my old boss, who apparently I had no idea, became friends with Chadwick Boseman, who, who works at Yahoo, and became friends from a distance in a kind of way with Chadwick Boseman and wrote a really touching uh, outsider's POV about coming into his circle uh, that shined a light on some details I hadn't really heard before uh, on Yahoo today. It was interesting. But I, I hope that we are able to extend even a fraction of the same grace that the internet collectively showed Chadwick Boseman to people who are less uh, obviously extraordinary and, and almost saint-like going forward. I mean, I think uh, the flip side of that idea that you never know what battles people are fighting uh, needs to extend to people who haven't always been on the winning side of them publicly. And I'm not talking about forgiving monsters and, and you know, weeping for them. I have been faster than anyone, as Megan Kelly will tell you, to uh, pee on the graves of, of people. Not that even I had no death for. could conjure respect <laughs> from David Erlen. <laughs> but I, I do think that it is uh, that, that reminder that we just don't know what people are going through cuts both ways, and we have to appreciate the deaths within ourselves and project them to all these people that we are only ciphers to us. We don't know in person and see from afar. Um, and it was really beautiful to me seeing the, the outpouring of support for, and love rather for uh, Chadwick Boseman. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know. And patches, Katie. I mean, it was kind of amazing watching the stuff coming in on Friday and like thinking about, how Black Panther has been an icon for years already, but kind of watching this like like instant legend be burnished in a way, like the 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 stars who die young have like kind of a different way that they're remembered. Like you think about Heath Ledger, you think about Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, and like that kind of the list goes on and on. And like knowing that he's going to be kind of captured forever in this like incredible creative peak as this like very specific iconic character that he played in addition to like James Brown and get on up a movie that like didn't get seen as much as it should have, but he's amazing. in. um, it's, I guess it's just like watching history play out in front of you, uh, in like a very specific sad kind of history, but it is, it was fascinating to watch as everyone reacted to this. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I don't really get attached to to famous people. Um, that stuff usually kind of just comes and goes for me. But I, I found myself really pretty broken up uh, about it, and I, I had to really kind of figure out why. I guess because I'm getting older and closer to the age that he passed away, and that really terrified me. Um, but also because I saw him as so important to so many different people. Um, there were a lot of like really bad, uh, comic book dot fart type responses to his death where people were wondering what would happen to black Panther two, And then a lot of anger towards those people for even thinking about it. I, and, think, um, I think that's a, I don't know. I think it's a valid thing no, to wonder. Well, well what I'm, well, I, okay. let me, I'm with you in some ways because, I also saw a lot of people be like, never make another Black Panther movie. This is this was singular. This was, he was Black Panther. Chadwick Boseman was Black Panther. I think Chadwick Boseman would probably want to inspire kids or to to have like great movies for the black community and black audiences um, in the future. Um, and, and to figure out, I mean, this was, this movie was so big. It was so important. Uh, even in the outpouring of, of love for Chadwick Boseman, people were talking about how important this movie was. And it's being of Kevin, David, he shared this amazing video of, of the opening night. He was with Chadwick uh, 
on opening night of Black Panther and, and the and the the energy coming out of the room like this was so vital this was such an important cultural moment and to imagine that it wouldn't go forward somehow I feel like is is kind of missing the point of what Chad McBoswin like pushed through to to make this happen I don't know I, I, it brings me a lot of joy that he accomplished this and and uh, with the sadness I don't know I, I, there was a there was a positive like a silver lining here that's like the accomplishment is there I, I just i was so broken up about what's I, I wouldn't want this to end for people i wouldn't want it to to go away because it was so important to people um yeah i don't know i don't have too much it's, more to add it's just impressive said, that he, like, he played so many iconic black men in the right, course so of his quickly. short career but he yeah. i think and we've already seen this happen when you were talking about watching a, a legend be burnished sort of in real time before our eyes he's clearly going to be remembered as an icon unto himself not as an amalgamation of any of the you know, Thurgood marshall uh, or james brown or jackie robinson but as a singular presence who embodied all of the various times along his life, but uh, was able to still shine through as his own man. Um, and that, I think, is pretty remarkable. Dave, you should talk. What? I just did you you I did the intro for you in the last one, so you would do it here. Oh, that's right. You did do the intro in this one. Okay, sorry. Sorry. All right. That, this, is this the that's the intro though? This is the intro. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, I did write down the timestamp, so Bill and Ted face the music is the long gestating capper to the Bill and Ted trilogy. The story of Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, the titular Bill and Ted who traveled through time and to hell. And uh, to the future, Who can their own relate futures. at this point. Have, have we not all yeah, traveled through time and to hell? <laughs> We've done both those things. Now it's time to hold ourselves accountable for aging with Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, they We catch up with them, and, and real time has passed, and they have uh, daughters, uh, little Bill and little Ted. Um, and have still not written the song that is supposed to unite all humanity, and it has now been elevated to not only uniting all humanity, but uh, <clears throat> like keeping the stability of all time space. Uh, so as historical figures start glitching out of where they're supposed to be into different parts of time, Bill and Ted are um, ushered in by Christian Schall, who plays uh, Rufus's daughter, uh, George Carlin's character from the first two uh, to the future and told they have 77 minutes to come up with this song or everything is going to uh, tear apart the seams. And they decide the best way to do that is to go into the future where they've already performed the song and steal that song from themselves. Uh, but it ends up being more of a rumination on them and their wives and their daughters and leaving things undone, I think. I really enjoyed it. I think it's like a little bit like Palm Springs. It's like a comedy that's pitched right where you don't have to take it seriously enough, but it has funny enough lines to occasionally poke you and keep you uh, paying attention to it. I don't think it's brilliant, but I do think as a capper, those three movies kind of are like a brilliant trilogy. And looking at that weird generation, which was just preceding mine 
of like the Gen X and the slackerdom and the idea of like sort of I don't know incrementally taking responsibility for your yourself through history and hell I guess I don't know it feels like at the end of Bill and Ted face the music you're at the end of a long ride with everybody which really it shouldn't because i don't think like the ultimate song is that good but i think <laughs> the I message know. the message of the song is ultimately fantastic and the last about line of the movie play it together it man exactly i yeah, liked it i'm not saying it's like question. classic i'm just saying it's very good before you really dig in here um yeah yeah you mentioned it, you said this was the end of the bill and ted trilogy that yeah. here's my question Mm-hmm. Is, it a, is it a trilogy if you don't if it's not a trilogy to begin with just because there are three movies does it automatically get to be a trilogy yeah yes. we call back to the future a trilogy we call indiana jones a trilogy or whatever we did we called um, alien a quadrilogy until we started stacking other movies on top of the quadrilogy so we could make <laughs> up our words depending on how we want to market them why would you not i guess is my question well yeah they, they like part of the marketing push behind this movie is everybody talking about how like they basically for 11 years now have been trying to get this done so it seems like they always felt like a third one was a possibility which would imply that this is the trilogy movie where does the, where does the bill and ted cartoon fit in does that mm. uh, count uh, i think anyway. it's like the back to the future cartoon <laughs> not it's there it's there but it's on the side um well, between yeah. i guess palm springs doesn't really count as a covid curve because it was a pretty big hit at sundance but i do feel like they kind of fit in the same space as being like a movie that is kind of meeting us where we are where we're stuck in our houses we can't go to theaters like a movie that's about the power of music to bring people together to you know unite for the common good like you know there's like a protest civil unrest curve there as well it, it just felt like kind of exactly what i needed to watch and i watched the previous two movies um last week kind of like basically for the first time like i knew these movies on some level but like i don't think i had ever seen either of them the whole way through um and they also have some of that kind of energy like bill and ted are just these really specifically great characters where they are like dumb boys who don't really get anything going on around them they're pretty self-centered but they're also really kind and really like generous to everyone who comes who they come across and like see the best in people see the best in each other like adore each other actively don't want to harm anyone and it's so different from like you know even marty mcfly in like a movie that i love or so many other like male heroes who have existed and like they're not like flawless there's like in the first one there's this moment where they call each other fags which has been like repeated for good reason like it's a bad joke and it doesn't hold up well at all um but i think they managed to update them so well in the new one where they like they're kind of stupid about how they about the relationships with their wives but they like really love their wives and they want their marriages to work and like they think their daughters are awesome and want them to succeed and like like basically learn to get out of their way and to let them succeed um it's such a nice way to present like two very male like masculine characters but who are absent of so much of the grossness of what we think about especially male characters from the 80s the uh the couples therapy scene with Elaine bell is very very funny I yeah, mean, it just it, it kind of feels like an SNL sketch. Like uh, a lot of the scenes this movie do, we're just with the increasingly yeah. puzzled therapist when you know and, people are coming in from different time periods and uh, talking nonsense. But her reactions are priceless. And it's a great riff on the uh, in the second movie where they propose to their wives and they do it together and like kind of like look over each other's shoulders to like make sure it's going well with each yes. of them. Uh, it's but it's funny. That's I think you're hitting the nail on the head, which is that 
I think a lot of the juice from this movie and what you really need for it to be more than just a series of vaguely related, cute, amusing scenes is coming into it with uh, a lot of appreciation and uh, um, affection for the previous two movies. I haven't seen them in decades uh, and just rented the third one today and watched it. And, you know, someone on Twitter, I wish I could remember who it was, called Bill and Ted uh, Himbo Paddington just because of its sort of like <laughs> nice core vibe. Uh, and I totally get off on that. Like it's, it's adorable. Keanu Reeves announcements are wonderful. Um, I think everything Katie said about the passing the man with their daughters, getting out of their way is spot on and works in the movie. I couldn't really get into it on more than a moment by moment basis. And that's not helped by the fact that the plot is by design, you know, so erratic and all over the place. But I thought, you know, the, it's, it's a sweet and innocent thing. And what's his face from, uh, from, uh, fuck, what's it? Barry. No ho. Oh, Frank Anthony, or no, Anthony, Anthony Kerrigan. No, uh, no ho Frank. No, or no ho Hank. No ho Hank is, uh, very, very funny as the like killer robot who really just wants to be called Dennis and be a normal person. <laughs> Dennis McCoy. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a music And William there. Sadler's back as death, yeah. so you have these two, like, white face-painted skull people, uh, skull non-people I, I interacting just, with each I other. I feel like even as, and take it the, you know, 11 years, unfathomable, it's just been 11 years working on, on this really anything out of the equation, I do think even something as, like, light and fluffy uh, as this could afford to be a little bit more filled out. Um, I'm not sure if putting the strict 77 minute time limit on their mission, which before the movie came out ended up being confused for the running time of the movie itself, uh, which was <laughs> annoying because I just hate seeing things that are untrue uh, factually on the internet, which has made this a very difficult four years for me. Uh, but the, uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I just think there could have been more meat on the bones and it still could have been as sweet, uh, but richer and, and deeper and gotten maybe closer to its Kimbo Paddington uh, namesake. Uh, but yeah, um, I, yeah, I think it's reasonable to hold it to a higher standard. The first two movies are also like kind of lumpy and like, you know, the like tone and the, the pacing fall apart from here to there before it gets like really good at certain points. So it's kind of true to that in a way. Um, but yeah, there are like parts that are funnier than others and there are like side characters that are funnier than others. When they start gathering the historical figures that the daughters do, kind of like a basically combine the first two movies where they have the history and hell. Um, I thought that part got really good and like Kid Cudi is in it uh, fresh off his like he was not he was the one who was on Westworld, right? Didn't he have like one episode of Westworld for some reason? And then I, oh yeah yeah yeah, Kid Cudi was on Westworld. He was in the, he was like a featured player on Westworld because he was a the flashback character for Aaron Paul. He, oh, oh right, right. He right, was right, also right. in the Entourage movie. Let's not forget. Wow, really? Uh, give give David an opportunity to bring up the Entourage movie. Listen, if you're gonna get a paycheck for being in the Entourage movie, it's gonna follow you to the end of your days. <laughs> Uh, he's also in Need for Speed. He's in lots he of Actually, he's good at Need for Speed. Yeah, he's, he's good in all sorts of things, but, about. you know, the truth the truth uh, needs to come out. I think about the I fact think that he's good in this. Movie. Be- oh, I'm like, oh, yeah. 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 okay, right. He's good in this yeah, because right. this is the type of movie that needs, like, a kid cutty to hold it together. And I think if it was anyone bigger or smaller on the, the music scale, it would really stick out. Like Who does he play thing. in the movie? He plays himself. 
He plays Kid Cudi. Plays As they Kid are, Cudi. they're assembling the ultimate music band from you know figures uh, throughout time. They get Mozart. Well, they, Kid, Kid Cudi ends up there accidentally. He yes. just gets blinked there by time, but he knows the most about how. Uh, Space time works. Yeah, the movie yeah, is not saying there. that he is on, a musician on par with Mozart, right? Or, right. Uh, yeah. With well, Jimi Hendrix or Louis Armstrong, right? But yeah. it's just like who would be funny if they were like secretly like the world's smartest astrophysicist, and it's like Kid Cudi. I'm like, sure, yeah, yep. And he's very he's pleasant. To do it. I it, like it's. Uh, there was like a part during. There's a part during this movie where Jimi Hendrix is dueling with Mozart from, like, outside, like, his window, that I was just kind of, like, smiling and remembering, like, how when these movies are dumb, but they lean all the way into it, how, like, enjoyable, and they could, like, take you on the ride. And I forget all the things, like, they're pushing in because it's obviously, like, a not-that-guy-playing-the-guitar, and it's ridiculous because... If, you know, Mozart walked out in the street and saw a black man playing guitar, his first reaction would not be to, like, get into a weird bubble with him. <laughs> but I feel like... Listen, uh, hashtag you know, not, all Mo- not all Mozarts, okay? You don't not know. all Mozarts. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean that's also, in the first movie, when all these historical figures, like Socrates, just like, yeah, I'll get in the phone booth with you, okay? Like, there's a uh, there's a level in which everyone just has to accept that their fate is to go in the bubble. Well, and what I like about this one is they do kind of shift to the, so the historical figures are, the, Mozart's the only white one uh, that they happen to pick up throughout time, but also, yeah, it would make getting get in the bubble with me a much more difficult argument. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I, I do think the shittiness of the last week of news specifically and like how I spent the week watching the RNC really made me the most receptive to this movie possible. It's like funny to imagine an alternate universe where like we've all seen Tenet in theaters and we've all seen like in the Heights. And then all of a sudden this comes, and we're like, all right, Bill and Ted, like, did you really need to come back? But 2020, uh, the fates aligned. Yeah. So that it maybe is the movie we need the most. They make you stop and watch the whole Bill and Ted movie. That's, that's what 2020's done to you. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, it is what I did after the VMAs, and I enjoyed both of them a lot. Patches, you gonna do B- Bill and Ted face the music? I want to see the movie. I don't know if I'm ready for the price point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, paying twenty paying twenty bucks for it. I definitely had a moment where I was like, okay, I'd want to see it with like it. a bunch of friends and laugh and laugh. But I can't do that right now. I guess I could buy it and, and play it on one of those like friend movie watching apps or something but or like projected on a screen outside your house i don't know i'm also i recently rewatched the first bill and ted it's fine it's like a dumb sketch movie i don't know it's almost uh, david what what he was saying about the just like could it be a little heavier could there be a little more to it i feel like that's what i'm worried about spending the money against or like spending the time there's so much to watch and especially in going into labor day there's like 18 movies and shows that are about to drop on various streaming services. I'm like, I don't have time for something that I really don't have a lot of nostalgia for. That's going to seem really, I don't know. It looks kind of cheap, uh, but you're kind of, you're convincing me. I, I do like fluff. I do like joy. I like feeling positive things. Just coasting off well, everything uh, Patches just said, can I just give a quick shout out to one of those shows, which captures all the same vibes that I think we're going for with, with Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is Ted Lasso on Apple okay. TV, starring Jason Sudeikis as a, uh, like 
I would. Based on a commercial. Is it based on a commercial? I, I kept yes. seeing it be like based on NBC related characters, and I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what yeah, it was they a commercial did like for. An ESPN promo yeah. or something for soccer. But he plays joining the likes also. of the cavemen and Ernest. But he plays. Yep. I mean, it is like that. But he plays a uh, like a midwestern football coach who gets hired to coach a failing British soccer team because the uh, newly divorced uh, owner wants to sink the team secretly to get back at her husband who was obsessed with the team and cheated on her. Uh, and it is just charming stuff. Anyway, that's my Ted Lasso corner. Just charming. Right at the end of Bill and Ted face the music. Well, I've only been Ted watching Lasso. The Boys. So hopefully on this... Does anyone on this podcast listen to the, or watch The Boys? Well, I'm getting that? around it's to it. Superheroes? Is Jacob Tremblay on that one? <laughs> no, I wish Jacob Tremblay. Which one was he in? Good Boys? He was in Good Boys. That was about oh, all right. How am I supposed to... The Boys have fucking Superman, fascist Superman. Wait, the Boys are back in town? The boys are back in town. <laughs> um, oh, there's so much television. Raised by Wolves is coming out on HBO Max. That's a show that watch doesn't that. exist outside of your social media face. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I've heard about this show has come from Matt No Patches one will watch it. That is it true. I Does mean, it exist? Has it come out yet? Of, yeah, it's coming out on Friday on HBO Max. It, uh, it is basically Alien Covenant, the TV show. Eight people, including me, will watch it. It's hard R. It's but when you so say dense. Alien Covenant TV show, I mean, like, that. that is obviously something know, that appeals to me. But it's not what I want, which is literally the sequel to Alien Covenant. I know. Uh, That's, yeah, you're not getting that. You're getting another, like, creation story, but with Ridley Scott-type androids landing on an alien ooh. planet. It is very much little... Uh, Oh God! What's it called? Prairie. Little. What is, little house on the prairie. Be, little house on the prairie. Could it it's be like little house on the prairie with androids? <laughs> could it become the Alien Covenant sequel? Ooh, it definitely could. I mean, all it really takes is David crash landing on a planet with his little True. embryo children. Wait, you mean me or the robots? Yes. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is David. The, the androids in this show are also filled with white goo. So, oh, that's uh, you know what? The, it could that's be how a I like an android. Uh, yeah, love wait, that Dave, way. are you are you because uh, I just you know received an email from HBO's PR department today about their upcoming Jude Law show, uh, which turns out to have an interesting format, potentially interesting format that seems like it could be up your alley. Where the first three episodes about like him going to some British Isle and there's cultish shit or whatever, and then and then there are another set of three episodes that I think star Naomi Harris, but then in between there is going to be a live event right. of some kind that like it's a play they're putting on a play. a play that brings you deeper into the world of this it just sounds like uh television called the for third day, Gonzalez, the yes i don't think you said this i didn't because i didn't i know. thought you were going to be like and then the second half they reveal it's the lost island and i was going to be like damn it my lost two idea yes i That's would definitely okay. be the play. one to break that news to you you were here <laughs> on playing in the war room <laughs> Anyway, Bill and Ted face the music. Fun. Watch it before there's a bazillion things to watch. Yeah, have some fun. If you need some fun. That's what it's good for. Uh, I mean, and also be excellent to each other. That is, that is what's Party important. Party on, dudes. Remember the band Learn as you're... What? The band Fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I 
Uh, that does it for this week's show. A reminder, we have a post credit scene still, so stay tuned after... That's not how we Marvel did, does it. Did, yeah, it's no, no, thank, thank you, Katie. Mom, don't stop listening to the podcast now. <laughs> I know you know where to follow us all on Twitter. And I got your email and I passed it on like you asked me to. Ever since that terrible scene in uh, the end of Civil War when Captain Zemo turns to the camera and says, don't go anywhere. There's a scene teasing Black Panther. <laughs> Mother, I got your review. It's at the end of the movie. Uh, you guys want to tell people where to find you? Yes, I am Matt Patches. I'm a senior editor at Polygon.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, FightingInTheWorm.com. If you like to listen to podcasts on your browser while you're sitting uh, on your computer, you can go there and you can listen to them. It's a fun way to do it. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on IndieWire writing about Oh boy, who knows what I'm writing about this week. The Venice Film Festival is starting it and doing my best to cover what I can of it remotely, so it will be that. Uh, you can find all of us uh, on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. We made a big deal about it at the start of this episode, so I can keep this shtick here short and simple. Fighting in the War Room, iTunes. And I'm Dave Gonzalez, still alive. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. <laughs> you could listen to me on The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast for rewatching Lost. And also, if you go to fightinginthewarroom.com slash Cora, you could uh, listen to Patches and I and Devendra Hardawar and Joanna Robinson talk about the animated series Legend of Korra. We have epi- podcast episodes for each episode that's now currently st- streaming on Netflix, plus some post-series content once you get there. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where this week we're talking about a couple things I think we're talking about here next week, including I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the new Charlie Kaufman movie on Netflix this week. We're definitely going to talk about of, that next week, right? Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about it, but if you want to hear a preview of me talking about it, listen to Little Gold Men this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, Katie, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can tweet your reviews of the podcast. Or also answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Mulan, coming to Disney+, Plus. what movie not on Disney+, Plus would you pay $30 to watch on Disney+. Plus? Uh, thanks for listening, and now we're going to hand it over to Dave's mom. Via David. Uh, yes, we are. <clears throat> this is uh, an email. It says in the top, FTWR review. Uh, it's very formal. I like that. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Like, all right, all right, all right. Uh, Forever been too shy to submit a review to be read in public, especially bantering with the four of you. Eloquent, knowledgeable, rowdy, and close to my heart after all these years. Also, truly do not want to embarrass my eldest son, in all capital letters now, who, by the way, obviously needs to be saved from a sadly early death. So here is Mom. As time slides, I was caught by surprise about Halloween. Wow, what a time for us to become someone else. It's getting profound. The kids need it so desperately, and so do the adults. Couple ideas for handing out candy. A fishing pole, a handicapped extension arm with claws. I am on a balcony, and am considering dropping down a Chinese ribbon dance ribbon that is about 13 feet long. 13 inches long? 13 feet long. I'm guessing 13 feet. I have one that has a red ribbon. Very festive with a little basket that can be pulled up and disinfected after each ascent. I also want to dress up. 
be the eccentric old lady. I can cut up and use all those Walmart clothing purchases that were sent by mistake and or don't fit and or are just plain ugly. It has been wonderful to hear your familiar voices. During the pandemic, as I listen with little outside distractions, I can tell who of you is feeling tense and frustrated. A mother always knows. That's frightening. I can tell if one of you has lost a bit and gets giggly and says funny things, which is most fun because that spreads through the group fast. I also laugh out loud. To make this review short, dash in capitals, too late, spare Dave, and I will forever be in your debt, mom. Dave's mom sounds like a truly wonderful woman. Uh, also telling that she says Dave and not Dave with the seven because she put some respect on the name that she gave you and not the one you <laughs> for yourself. Uh, but uh, what a lovely review. Um, and The bar has been set, future reviewers. I'm now, I'm now, yeah. I'm now really uh, going to be self-conscious about hoping that my anxiety about the pandemic and everything else doesn't bleed through too much because uh, the moms know. Yeah, I'll have to report back with what she ends up dressing up as with her uh, yeah. with her basket, her dis- off-disinfected basket. I will say I've thought a lot about Halloween in the last week, and I'm leaning toward trying to find one of those like handicap extension arms like she's talking about, but like a skeleton one, so it looks like you're just like, hand- extending a skeleton hand six feet to give the candy to the kids. Yeah, I like it. Spooky. All right, we're going to keep thinking on this. <laughs> All right, now that does it for this week's show. We'll be back talking to you next week.